take your Bibles and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where we'll continue on this morning. Well, as we were saying a little bit ago, um, we've had to make some changes this morning, and it's been a reminder that we are not in control here. <laughs> I am not in control. You are not in control of what is going on. Uh, of course, we are responsible for uh, how we respond to things and how we respond to when circumstances and life changes, but we're, we're not in control. And it's something I think often we, we have to be reminded of that in our life we're going to make plans, we're going to have things in mind, we're going to have intentions, and those are going to get turned sideways, upside down, or altogether totally destroyed. And in those moments, we always have a choice. And our choice is simple. We're either going to trust in the sovereignty and reliability of God and continue to walk with him in that, or we're going to wrestle with that and we're going to want to somehow bring things under our control and we're probably going to end up, if we go down that path, we're going to end up flustered and discontent. That's what we always have before us when difficulties come our way. And it's easy for things to come into our life like a change of plans, and, and to threaten to steal our joy from us. Because in the moment, we're trying to make it right, we're trying to, we're trying to bring it back under our control, and we're going to get flustered. <clears throat> plans change. When we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're dealing with changed plans and the results of Paul having to change plans. How he handled it, and how other people handled it. What happened with the Apostle Paul is he had planned to visit the Corinthian church uh, uh, a couple of times on a trip he was going to take. He laid it out for them. He said, here's what I'm planning. Here's what I want to do. And then things changed. The Lord intervened in his life. You know, uh, different, different circumstances came about and he had to make a change. And... I think his perspective on that is he just simply rested in God and, and rolled with the change and said, okay, we'll do it this way and we'll move on. But the Corinthians grabbed hold of his changed plans and turned it into an accusation. We've talked about this already in our time in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. They began to build a case. Because his plans changed and he didn't come when he said he was going to come, uh, some in the church who were probably already frustrated with him uh, began to use it as a way to question him. Well, he's not very reliable. He says one thing, does another. He, when he says yes, he means no. When he says no, he means yes. Now, if your plans changed and somebody began to accuse you that way and say, well, you don't keep up your bargains. You don't keep up your promises. You, you change your mind. You're like... You're, you're fickle. You, that might steal your joy, right? If somebody came at you with that kind of a pointed finger and saying those things about you. And we would probably 
tend toward anger and wanting to defend ourselves and, 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 and maybe go beyond that. But again, what we find with Paul here, it's really a testimony about he, he knew who he was in the Lord. His security, his faith was not dependent on what was going on and what everybody else was doing. He was able to rest in God when things changed. He was able to rest in God when people pointed the finger at him wrongly and walk through it in patience, love, kindness. And he continues in our passage to be an example of godliness lived out. And we're going to walk through verses 15 through 24 this morning. And there's so many things we can highlight in this passage, but what I've called it is a joyful servant of God. A joyful servant of God. That's who Paul remained in the light of changing circumstances and people problems. He remained joyful in the Lord and just kept the mentality of, I'm here to serve God, I'm here to walk with Him, and I'm just going to keep doing that. And he didn't let the waves of life toss him to and fro everywhere, steal his joy, get him upset, get him flustered to where, oh, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. I'm done with you. I'm not doing that anymore. I don't, I've had enough of you. And those kinds of things, right? We're going to walk through this passage again, and we're going to try to highlight three things here that, that I see in the passage. The first thing we'll talk about is the sovereignty of God. I think Paul rested in the sovereignty of God. God is working providentially in the world. I can trust his work. I don't have to be the one in control. He rested in the reliability of God. He's going to go into a, a, a series of statements about how, how certain we are of God's promises. His word is always true. God is faithful. Jesus Christ is certain. And he, he calls everyone to have that mentality. No, we can all trust in God. Plans may change, but God does not change. And you need to rest in that. The reliability of God. And then, I think through his own actions toward the Corinthians and what he says, we see the humility of God's people, especially, uh, obviously, within the Apostle Paul. Humility. It's not about me. It's about Christ. And I'm just going to continue to preach Christ. And he says at the end of this passage, we'll get to it, I'm just here to work with you toward your own joy. I'm fellow workers of your joy, he says at the end of the chapter. That's, I'm here to encourage you and bless you. That's all my aim is. And he has to explain that. With all the accusations coming his way, he had to take some time and explain this. Again, I don't know if I've ever been in a, quite a situation that he was in where people were making just totally wrong accusations, but I've certainly had things kind of come my way that weren't 100% true, and I had to clarify and give context and give understanding. And we see the apostle continue to do that here. But as we come to the passage here, let's look as Paul begins to explain what happened, look at verses 15 through 17. Here Paul writes, And in this confidence I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit, to pass by way to you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? And he's simply communicating, my plans changed. And I think he's indicating some things are out of his hands. Now Paul, he didn't plan things lightly, as he says. And we're going to draw out a point here under the, 
the understanding of the sovereignty of God, that it's ultimately God is in control, we are to seek God's will in making our plans. And that's what Paul did. He, he didn't make his plans lightly. He didn't just say, well, what's easy? I'm going to do that. I'm going to do what's most comfortable for my flesh. He didn't do that. He had a heart to bless others. And happen is back in 1 Corinthians, when he wrote the epistle of 1 Corinthians to this church, he said he hoped to come to them, and he laid out a little bit of a plan. He was going to go to Ephesus. He was going to come over to them, and then he was going to go up north to Macedonia. He, so he was going to do a loop one way. But what happened is he, he needed to do things differently, so he, was going, he ended up looping the other way. Geographically speaking, he went to Macedonia, then to Corinth, and anyway, his plans changed. And he made it one time. And the time that he did go to them, he had to really kind of be firm with the truths of God that they were distorting and confusing with people and the, the life that they were living. And he had to deal with a lot of the issues, again, that he writes about in 1 Corinthians. He, he calls it a um, sorrowful visit in this very epistle. He had to go there and kind of be like, you know, kind of like the picture when the kids have been misbehaving and dad comes home, you know, that kind of a picture, and dad's going, okay, no, you shouldn't have been doing that. I'm gonna, you're, you're in trouble now. Paul had to kind of do that in his role as an apostle, not because he wanted to lord over them or anything like that, but because he was an apostle and this church was one that he founded, he wanted to bring these people back to the simplicity of Christ, back to righteous living, and he spent so much time dealing with them in patience and love, but he had to be firm with them. Well, you know, we all have that fleshly mechanism. If somebody kind of calls us out on something or gives us some correction, you're kind of like, what are you talking to me about? You know, what about you? What about you? We want to, you know, that's what the flesh does. The flesh is always ready for a fight, right? That's the flesh. We're always ready to like, oh yeah, well, what about you? You, you think you're perfect? We kind of want to get into that kind of a thing. That, that, we're getting an inside picture of this playing out right here in this book. He said, guys, you got to work on this. And they're like, well, what about you? You change your plans. You said one thing, do another, and you're a liar, and, you know, and that's what they're doing. And he's like, no, that's not what I did. This is what happened. And he's calming them down, as it were. You know, he's just calmly addressing the issues. But he made his plans with the Lord, and he didn't know everything that was going to happen. And I, one thing I love about passages like this is we tend to think back of like the Apostle Paul, one who received revelation from heaven. Christ spoke to him directly. And sometimes he didn't know what to do. He didn't have a road map in front of him. Now, now go right, take, take the next left. Okay, go to that town, say this, then go to that. That's not how God led him. God gave him some direct revelation, but Paul still had to follow God's leading in his life and make decisions with the Lord, just like you and I do. That's how we work, right? None of us have experienced God speaking out of the heavens and saying, okay, here's what you're doing tomorrow, and then a week from, uh, week from next week, here's what we're doing. We don't get that. Well, neither did he. Neither did he. These guys had to walk by faith too. They had to make decisions and, and then see if, if God overruled those decisions or led them a different way. They were in the same boat that we are. And that's why, again, we see all that playing out here. But his intention is what we see in verse 15 he says, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit. Paul's heart was to bless them. He had come once to correct. He wanted to come again to really just bless them and build them up. 
that was his heart. And he decided to do that with the Lord. But some things had happened, some things had changed, and he hadn't made it back yet the second time. And thus they were making these accusations that he was unreliable because he hadn't come back the second time. But his heart was to bless. Paul's life manifest in his epistles was to pray about all things, to take everything to the Lord, to seek the Lord's will, the Lord's direction, the Spirit's leading in his life. And then to take steps of faith. And if the Lord changed the direction, okay, it's the Lord in control, not me. That's just, that's the simple things of the Christian life and when it comes to decisions and things. We just simply seek the Lord's will, pray, make a decision. We take the next step. If something changes, it changes. So what? We'll walk with the Lord through it. I think Paul always sought God's best. He did apply his spiritual wisdom as he walked with the Lord and understood what his mission was. He made plans in light of that to reflect what the goals were. But at the end of the day, he knew that it wasn't he in control, but God. And so Paul knew how to trust God's will in changing plans. And that's our next point. We are to trust God's will in changing our plans. God is in control. You know, Proverbs 16, 9, we'll pull that up here. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That's what happened with Paul. He made a plan, God changed it. God directed his steps a different route, and he hadn't made it back to Corinth for the second time like he wanted to. But that was no cause for them to make the accusation he was a liar. You can see in verse uh, 17, the Corinthians were saying that his, you know, this, this kind of funny wording about yes, yes, and no, no. He says, with me, there should not be yes, yes, and no, no. And what it seems like he's indicating is, well, they were making the, the accusation. When you say yes, you mean no. When you say no, you mean yes. And he's saying, that's not true. I, I, I'm... From my heart, I'm telling you what my intentions are, and I plan to keep them. But if God intervenes, that's just life. I, I'm, not, I'm not God here. And, and I kind of think there's this sort of sub-theme in this passage that Paul's like, I'm not the Holy Spirit here. I'm not God. You know, I'm his apostle, I'm his messenger, but I'm not in control. I'm not the one that gets to tell everybody what to do, and I'm not even in control of my own life completely. I have to rely on God. It continues to come out through this book, through this passage. And I think it just speaks to us when we look at these first few verses of this section is we have to have the same attitude toward what's going on in life. And that attitude is simply Lord willing. We have to just assume the attitude, it's Lord willing. It's God's will, not mine. I'm going to pray. I'm going to plan. But I need to, that underneath all that needs to be as the Lord wills. And we see that in Scripture. We see that in Paul's life. We don't change plans because we're fickle. Sometimes we have to change plans because that's what's necessary because of how God's working and how God's leading. But we just have to have the simplicity of thought. That, no, it's, it's according to the, to the Lord's will. We're going to do that. Here at uh, Breen Bible Institute recently, we were, we were planning a trip to Israel. We were going to go to Israel May of this year that we're in, 2023. And we've been planning it for... Um, I don't know, probably around eight months already. Uh, we announced it sometime back in the summer. 
And, you know, we were, we, you, you advertised the trip. We were going to have, take an 11-day tour in Israel. We've done it once before with the Berean Bible Society, and then a group of us even went individually before that once. So I've been able to be there once, which I'm thankful for. But we wanted to, to have the school host another trip and give people the opportunity to, to go there because it's something we really believe in. It's something we think really is an encouraging thing to do. It, it does cost, as all things do, but there's a really big benefit in it. I mean, I was really benefited by my time there just to see what the landscape looked like, see the archaeological sites, and, and just get a better idea of what Scripture's communicating when you're reading the New Testament and everything. And it just really, it just really sort of enhances your reading of Scripture in a great way. And so it's something that we really kind of excited about and wanted to do. We put the trip out there. We're marketing it. We're advertising it. We're talking to people about it. And it just seemed like the registrations just kind of trickled in, and we, 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 we had to make a decision in January. You know, there was a certain date. After that date, you start to become more financially responsible if you don't go. You start to have to put in more money where your mouth is. We all had to make a deposit, but the more money would be at stake if we, if we don't make a decision at the end of January. So that time came, and we didn't quite have as many people as we wanted. This is a trip we planned. This is a trip we prayed about. This is a trip we lifted up to the Lord weekly and talked about. And we came to the decision of like, I don't think this is what God wants us to do this time. We don't think he wants us to do this this time. So we, we talked about it. We talked to the organization we worked through, and we decided, because of what our numbers were, you know what, let's cancel this trip. We, we sought out all our options, right? You know, that, that's just trying to be wise to get information and, and get understanding. We got all the information we could, and we made a decision. We changed our plans, we decide, we, and we communicated this to the people who had signed up, and we are now going to go May of 2024. We put it out a whole other year. We're still planning to go. We rolled everything over to the next year, and we were able to do that. And, and some of the people signed up are going to do that with us. Some of the people were like, well, I can't do that. i got to pull out. i got to do something else. And we understand that. We just sought to be honest with the people. Now, some of those people probably could have got mad at us. Well, hey, you said you were going to do this, and you changed it, and I, and I put a little money on that, and we're just trying to be honest. Look, this is what's going on, and we don't feel this is the right thing to do. We're going to do this instead. Here's, here's option B. Here's even an option C for you. But again, plans change. It's just how life is. We're all walking through this with the Lord together, and we have to trust that he's the one in control. He's the one in control. And sometimes that means changing plans. As Paul goes on in the passage, he's indicating his plans changed, but that it didn't mean he's a liar. That's basically what he's saying. His plans changed, but he also is saying, the truth I preach to you, though, that hasn't changed. The word that I spoke to you about God, that's that's not changed. And he kind of reviews some of the, the truths of the Christian life that he taught the Corinthians to help them see that actually he is characterized by speaking the truth. Because he's saying, wait a minute, you believe all these spiritual truths, where'd you hear those? From me. You calling me a liar? What about all these things you believe that you say you you stand for? I'm the one that taught you that. So he's saying, we are not characterized by lies. We're characterized by truth. And he's just making another case as to why Hey, we're still trustworthy, but plans change. So that brings us to verse 18, and we'll read verses 18 through 22, where here we're going to focus on the reliability 
of God. We have the sovereignty of God, and we all have to rest in that. God is the one in control, and we have to leave him to be the one to direct our steps. Otherwise, we're going to lose our joy. But we also have to remember that he is reliable, and the things that God has said in his word, and the things he said to us and about us, they are true, and they are the foundational truths of the Christian life. And just because something happens in our life and we wonder what's God doing, we never want to doubt God and his truth. And that's, that's how Satan works a lot of times. He wants to bring in circumstances that put up this veil between you and the truths that God has spoken in his word. And you start to think, is that really true? Is God really working all things to good? Is God really doing the things he said? Is he going to keep his promises? Let's read verses 18 through 22. But as God is faithful, our word or message to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. There is an incredible amount of biblical truth in this passage. And I'm not going to walk through each one because I, I, I could, but we'd be doing multiple messages just on these verses. But these are some bedrock things about the Christian life, the faithfulness of God, what Christ has done for us, the indwelling Holy Spirit. I mean, just some, some huge, huge truths here. But what Paul, again, is saying is, no, all the things I taught you about God were yes. They were amen. They were true. That's what we've been teaching you. We've been teaching you the truth. So why do you doubt us because our plans changed? Why, why, are, you, why are you doing this? And the real answer was, well, because some of them had an axe to grind, and they're just picking this as something to use. They're using it as a, as a dart against him. It really wasn't the issue. It was just something they were grabbing onto to get back at the one that had offended them by his, his correction and his, his presence. They didn't like it. They didn't like what he did. But he takes the time to remind them, no, I'm the one that taught you the truth. And that points us back to the fact that God is reliable. These things are about truths about God. They're not truths about Paul. And that's sort of an inference in this part is like the Corinthians weren't to put their hope in Paul. They put their hope in Christ, in God, the one who is sovereign, the one who always is true. And, you know, and, and, and sometimes people have to be corrected about that. There are certainly people of God, men of God, that we probably hold in high esteem and do so, uh, rightfully so. But we never put our faith or hope in people. We can appreciate people God has used, but that's not where our hope and faith belong. That belongs to one alone, and that's Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He's the one that's always true, always faithful. He's the one that's working in our lives. So there's a little bit of a lesson here, too, to never, get, never put your hope in people. You've got to be careful of that because, you know what? We all falter. We all fail in the flesh at times. And if you put your hope in a person, you're going to be let down at some point. You're going to be let down. We have to be careful with that. I think we live in a culture of celebrityism, you know, where people like always looking at somebody like, that's my hero, that's my person, that's the person I'm following. 
Well, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing when you get positive role, role models in life, but if you're really, if, if it gets to the point of adoration, which a lot of people it does, they start to have adoration toward people rather than just admiration. But you know what's going to happen? That person's going to fall, that person's going to falter, that person's going to end up being a negative role model, and then what does that do to the person that was looking at that person as kind of larger than life and just adoring them? It's going to let them down, and they're going to be a, they're, it's going to be a, a wake-up for one thing, but I think a lot of times Christians have do that with people, certain preachers, certain authors, certain people. No, 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 no. We're all just instruments of God. We all need to be looking to Christ alone and knowing that, again, he's the sovereign one. He's the reliable one. He is the truth. And to keep that focus. What we want to point out here, though, in this passage with verses 18 and 19 is that God's Son gives us certainty. He gives us certainty here. Again, you can just see the Paul's expressions. God is faithful. Our word or message to you was not yes and no. I think he's talking about what he preached to them when he says, our word to you. He says, we, we just sought to be faithful to God who is faithful. And we just preached you the truth as we understood it. And we gave you the truths that you now say you hold to. But he's pointing the fing- finger at this, the faithfulness of God. It's him that we have to rely upon. He's the one that's reliable. <clears throat> and then you see in verse 19, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you, he's not yes and no, but in him is yes. In him is always yes. He's the faithful one. He's the one you can always rely on. And Paul here mentions his companions, uh, Silvanus, otherwise known as Silas, and Timothy. These men were with Paul when he ministered in Corinth in, in past times. And so the Corinthians knew these men. So while Paul was the main target, actually they were probably speaking ill of all three of these men, that all these men were liars and unreliable and tell you one thing and do another. But he says, no, we preach the truth, and that truth is in the person of Jesus Christ. And I think as Christians a lot of times, again, it's easy to get focused so much on circumstances that we, we, we derive our joy from our circumstances or our hope. We, we look to circumstances to give us that lift or whatever. We start to rely on the things of this world to, to do something in our heart, to give us something that really only God can give to us. And again, I mean, really, the, the, the story of humankind is... One way to phrase it is uh, looking for joy in life everywhere apart from God. That's kind of human history in a nutshell. I mean, starting in the Garden of Eden, when, they, when Eve believed a lie about the forbidden tree, when Satan had said, you can be like gods. And, oh, what's that? That sounds nice. In that moment, God wasn't enough anymore. I need something more than God. I need something more than what God had said, his word. And she took it, right? And the rest, history, as they say, we have the whole story in the Bible, what happened. And every, every day since then, it's people looking for some kind of joy, purpose, fulfillment in life, and they're trying to do it apart from God. And what happens every time? Despair, depression, anger, frustration, worst kinds of sin, trying to fill the hole that's there that only Jesus Christ can fill. That's the story of humanity, not relying upon God, but trying to rely on our own selves 
to find some kind of joy in life. No, nope. God alone, he is the one as that Paul preached and the one that Paul always steered people back toward. And again, we only, the only certainty we're going to find in life is in what God has said, right? Again, plans changed. Uh, relationships sometimes change. Uh, our health changes. We go through new struggles, new challenges. And you could say that really nothing in the life, in our worldly life, nothing is certain, right? Tomorrow is not certain. Ten minutes from now is not certain. But Christ is always certain. And that's what Paul's trying to get across to them again is like, hey, we're your teachers, we spoke the truth, but don't you go putting your faith in us like we're something more than men. We're not. We're just your servants. Your certainty belongs with Jesus Christ and in him, and only in him are you going to find what your heart is looking for. As Paul goes on in this passage, he gets to verse 20 and he talks about the, all the promises of God in Jesus are yes, in him, amen. So he's just, again, Jesus is the truth. Everything we told you about Christ, you know he's true. You know he hasn't failed you. You know he hasn't let you down. That's what we preach to you. And in verse 21, he starts to focus a little more on the spirit of God in this, this passage where he's really just building up who God is. He begins to talk about the spirit. Again, in verse 21, he says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And there's different points we could make on here. I think Paul's, in one hand, he's saying, we're ministers because of the Spirit, not because of us. We're ministers because of God. And we didn't, we didn't sign up for this. God, he's the one that established us with you. God's the one who gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one working in us. When we came to you and we preached the truth and we ministered to you, that was the Holy Spirit working. That was all God doing that. That's one thing. But I think another thought that Paul may be bringing out here is the unity we all have in the Spirit. And that's the point we're bringing out here, that God's Spirit gives us unity. God's Spirit gives us unity. We all are on the same ground with the Lord. We all have the same access to God the Father. We all have the same Savior in Jesus Christ. We have far more in common than our differences. I think Paul may be saying to the Corinthians who are attacking him, and he may be indicating we have too much in common for this to separate us and to drive us apart from each other. This, this, this foolish accusation, misunderstanding. I think he's calling them back to a sort of leveling the playing field so they can rebuild their, their relationships and so forth. Sort of regroup and rebuild here. But it's because of the Holy Spirit we have things in common. We have a unity in Jesus Christ. We've all been established in Christ together. We're all in Christ. That's the position of the Christian that the Holy Spirit effects the moment we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are placed into the very person of Jesus Christ, one with him now and forever, and identified with him, identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. We are in Christ 
And he says, we've been anointed by God. And I think the anointing here is the idea of the spirit that's been given to each one. The moment we trust Christ as our Savior, the Spirit of God comes and indwells our spirit, our heart. He says in this passage, the Spirit in your heart. The very center of your being is now occupied by the Spirit of God. Isn't that amazing? Like, Just think about that. How does the infinite Spirit of God dwell in my spirit and my heart? It's just things that, that, that challenge our comprehension and understanding, but truths that echo through the pages of Scripture here. But the idea of anointing, you know, that's, so, that's actually what the word Christ means, or Messiah, it means the anointed one. And it's the idea of, of sort of like chosen and enabled for ministry. Jesus Christ was the great servant of God when he came into this world to die on our sins. Well, we're all chosen servants of God as members of the body of Christ, as his people. He saves us and he gives us his life, but he also gives us his mission and ministry that we share in. And now we're not just here to be together, which is great, but we're here to work together, to take the gospel out, to serve Christ in this world. It's God who is enabling all ministry. So I think when Paul says, hey, we've been established with you and we've been anointed by God, God selected us me and Sylvanus and Timothy for this role. We didn't pick it. God picked us. And he's made us, he's put us into this role. And we're just seeking to be faithful here. But, the, but every believer in Christ also is in that category. We've all been anointed by God's spirit, which means we have the spirit, we are enabled for ministry, and we can go out with the gospel. And that comes out a little bit more in verse 22. He explains it more that we've been sealed by the spirit and he's in our hearts as a guarantee. Here we see that idea of security in Christ. Security. The moment you trust Christ, the Holy Spirit of God in you, and it says he seals you. It's permanent. It's permanent. He seals you. He's a guarantee. He's a guarantee of all the other blessing God has in store for you. You're, nothing's going to change it. You're now on this unchangeable pathway with you and the Lord. He's going to bring you home to him one day, and nothing's going to change that. And let's read a verse that speaks to this as well. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, 13 and 14, and we'll pull it up on the screen here. Here Paul wrote to the Ephesians something very similar where he said, In him, that's Jesus, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We all have the Spirit in common. Everyone here that's trusted Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God is in you. Jesus Christ is your Lord. I ain't. I'm not the one sealing you or guaranteeing you. I'm not the one that's leading you or no one else here is. It's God himself. And again, we have that in common. We have that in common. The Spirit of God is working in each one of us. You know, it's interesting because, like, we all probably have family gatherings, maybe family reunions. And, you know, living in the world, we live in a world where sin. Uh, we know people that are sinners. So when you get family together sometimes, it's painful. <laughs> There's different perspectives and, and persuasions, and some are not where you are even spiritually. They may be sort of hostile to your faith. And yet every Christmas you sit across the table 
and, and maybe you listen to snide remarks or criticisms or, or whatever the case is. Hey, maybe your family's not really like that. You know, but, I, but I've seen plenty that are, you know, where, where people act out in the flesh a lot and people aren't even saved, you know, and so you've got all these relationships in your family. And yet, usually, I mean, sometimes people are like, well, I just totally disown you. That's certainly out there. But generally speaking, people still will sit down with your family and kind of like overlook the faults and overlook all these problems and just try to have a good time together, right? Sometimes, and I get it, sometimes it doesn't work because it can get so hot it doesn't work. But in general, a lot of times we, we try to implement a certain loyalty to our family members and try to show some love and courtesy because we're bonded by blood. And we try to do that. It's kind of built into our culture and our social interactions, but, but it's also a good and biblical thing to do, right? As God tells us to honor our father and mother and to, and to really walk in love toward everyone. But yet a lot of times, the same courtesy you might extend to your family, sometimes people don't bring that to church. Where here you come to your spiritual family, and here we're bonded by the Spirit of God, and yet it may be the smallest thing gets us so upset that we're ready to well, act like these Corinthians and start calling somebody a liar and start getting in their face and start wanting to throw a fit and really, you know, I don't like you, I don't want you here, and, and act out in the flesh, right? I just, I just find it so interesting that a lot of times even Christians will, will work harder to get along with like their third cousin who's, who's you know, at the opposite end of the political spectrum and not in the faith than they will their own brother or sister in Christ that believes almost everything you believe. Right? And have the same spirit. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, we got everything in common. We, we taught you these things. We, walked, we were with you. We taught you about the spirit. We've all got this in common. You're going to throw us away because my plans changed? That's stupid, right? But you look in the mirror sometimes and I think, well, what kind of things have I done that's stupid toward other people maybe? <laughs> Where I maybe let my flesh carry me away because somebody did something as an oversight and I took it personal. I got upset. And maybe you get a little bit of that dislike building in your heart toward a brother or sister in Christ, right? But then you read a passage like this and you're reminded, no, wait a minute. We're in this together. This is the Spirit of God has bonded us. We're all children of God, most high creator and sovereign of the universe. So we can work things out. We can do it if we rely on him. And that's what Paul's telling these people. We can work this out. With the Lord, we can work this out, and we can move. We can move forward stronger than ever before in the Lord, because of what the Spirit of God does. As we move into the last couple of verses of our passage, we we see Paul again. He's speaking to the sovereignty of God, and like plans change. He's speaking to the reliability of God, and like no, He's the one who gives us the truth that we believe. It's not about people; it's about God. And when we as Christians are able to rest in God's sovereignty and God's reliability in our life, I think we can move to the next point, which is we can live in humility. And we can be free, in a sense, from all the different things that might rob us of our joy, where we feel like we have to control things and control people and, and make people do things or get people to do things, all this kind of sense. No, when, when you see who God is, it sets you free from all that. You can just rest in who you are, who God made you are, and just walk humbly before your God and just serve people. And that's what we see Paul do here. Look at verse 23. He says, Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. 
to spare you. This is the first time he actually says why he didn't come back. He said he didn't come back. He was going to, but he didn't. And it was actually for their good, and here he spells it out. Before God, it was actually for your own good that I didn't come back. He didn't want to pull out the spiritual paddle again, as it were. He didn't want to come back and have to correct and be firm and kind of like, he wanted, he wanted to back off a little bit and give the spirit room to work in these people. But our point here, what we see with Paul is that God gives us sensitivity to the needs of others. See, this is where the Christian life does hinge upon the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you because sometimes we don't know what the best thing is. We just have to trust God to lead us and work. Sometimes we don't know what exactly to say or oh, should I do that or should I do this? And you just have to trust God with it. And, and, and what comes to mind, what comes to your heart, you just, okay, Lord, this is for you and you, and you, and you, you deal with people, but you have to trust God. And Paul had went to them to correct them and now he had traveled to Macedonia to the north and he was getting a report that some of them were having a hard time with what he did there. And that's why this epistle's written. Paul was hearing about all their grief and their sorrow about his previous visit when he kind of was firm-handed. They didn't like that. Some of them didn't anyway. And so he had, he, you know, he's actually still making decisions with the Lord and thinking, well, I, I told them already what, what, they, what God wants them to be doing. I already communicated that. Do I go back there and do it all over again? And it seems like the decision he came to was, no. No, I said it. I gave him the truth. I'm going to let God work. I'll write the letter. I'll explain it. I'm not going to go back. I'm going to write. And he's, he's actually, it seems like he's just being sensitive to where they are on the spiritual journey. He's just being sensitive to people. You know, and, and, and sometimes I notice, uh, sometimes Christians, like, they so want somebody to trust the gospel or so want somebody to come to their church that they just is almost on top of the person all the time. Like, hey, have you, have you trusted the Lord yet? Have you trusted the Lord yet? Have you trusted the Lord yet? And it's just like, whoa, back off once in a while. Be sensitive to where this person is and listen to what they're saying and hear what they're saying and see what their needs are. There's just a sensitivity that God creates in us toward other people that, that is just so invaluable. And I think it's the work of the Spirit of God in us. But Paul here, he didn't go back because he was being sensitive to where they were at and he believed it better to not come, to spare them for now, to not come back with the heavy hand, but to, I'm going to write you this letter, and I think sort of underlying that is, I'm going to let God work in you. I'm going to let the Spirit of God work in you. And that's where we all have to come with people. We have to, we have, to have that mentality that we want to minister to people, but we have to let God be God. We have to let the Spirit of God work on their heart. We can't affect their change, their decisions, and all that. We can certainly seek to be persuasive about Christ and about the life in Christ that we have, but we certainly cannot force the issue with people. And a lot of times when we do that, we actually drive people away if we're too forceful with everything. I think Paul knew the difference between inviting people to Christ and walking alongside them and just forcing the issue all the time to where it's always the issue. He knew when to back off a little bit and give God room to work. You know, I think sometimes, uh, well, I think of another BBI illustration here. Like, a lot of times at, at the Institute, we have all these classes, and we would love to see all these classes filled up, just brimming with students and people who wanted to go out and serve God in all kinds of different capacities of ministries, preaching, missions, you know, Sunday school teaching, being a good mom, being a good dad, just all, all the whole gamut of, of serving the Lord. We would just love to see classes filled up with people, just wanting to grow and learn and absorb the truth of God and walk with God. And yet, we're a fairly small school. 
we have just under 100 students, generally speaking. And, and we do have students in, here in this country and other countries as well now, but, but generally speaking, people look at us and say, well, that's kind of a small school there. And when we talk to students, we do encourage, like, hey, if you're looking at this ministry, you might consider this program. You might consider these courses. And there's, I'm sure probably some of my uh, fellow uh, faculty members could, could join with me in this, but we, sometimes you kind of really like to tell somebody, like, you really need to take this class. You really need what this class offers in your life, because I, I, I appreciate your ministry, but this class would help you in your ministry. You know, you, you might consider this, this preaching class, or you might consider this hermeneutics, which is Bible study class. You, it might help you, you know, and we could give advice like that. And I'll have phone conversations with students, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll suggest, like, well, have you considered this class? I think this could be helpful. Here's why it was helpful to me, or here's why it's helpful to others. But what do you think the student does, though, if I call him back in an hour and say, well, what do you think about that class? And then maybe another 15 minutes. I didn't, I'll text him. <laughs> and then 15 minutes later, I'll send him an email, you know, and then I'll send a postcard. And, uh, and, and then I'll hire somebody to go knock on their door and give them a, no, I'm just kidding. But you, they would be like, whoa, 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 let me breathe. <laughs> I, 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 you know, you got to give room for the Spirit of God to lead in that and direct that. That has to be between them and God. Hey, you, you might consider this. This would be great for you. Um, I'm here if you have questions, and then you just got to leave it. You just gotta, you know, and if they have questions, hey, then you can step back in and talk, right? But it's just that kind of thing I see playing out here in real time with Paul and the Corinthians. That sensitivity that comes with walking with the Lord and just, but just also having the freedom to let people be where they are. I don't have to be, I don't have to force you over here. I'm here, I'll share this if I get an opportunity, but I don't have to be the one to force you over into something. And that leads us to our last verse where he says, Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. And I've just pulled out the point here that God calls us to humility toward one another. Um, when Paul, you know, he gets to this point in the chapter and he's, he just said, like, I didn't come back because I wanted to spare you. He chose the path of, like, I'm going to be sensitive, I'm going to back off, I'm going to let the Spirit work. I th he seems to indicate that had he gone back, he thought he would really be forcing the issue and lording over them, do dominating their faith. Kind of be in that stand and like, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, and like guiding their, their whole faith trajectory. But he just got done talking about God the Holy Spirit. That's his job. Paul didn't want to play Holy Spirit in the lives of the Corinthians and tell them, you ought to do this, you ought to do that, you should do this, you should do that. He didn't want to come across that way. Now, this is an apostle talking who did receive direct revelation from God at times. And even he says, I'm not going to lord over your faith. How much more us, who are not apostles that receive direct revelation, know that we're not here to lord over the faith of anyone. We're called instead to walk in humility. Humility is the virtue by which we see the whole area of ability from God's perspective. Humility recognizes the great and awesome nature of God and the inability of oneself to produce God's holiness in our own life. Humility simply recognizes who God is and who I am and has the proper understanding of that, that God's way up here and I'm not. And I need him every hour. I need him all the time. 
It's pride and arrogance that thinks, well, no, I got this. I can do this now. Pride and arrogance is, a, is an overinflated ego. It's a wrong I can do attitude because it's trying to do without God. Where humility says, no, I need God. And I don't have the ability in and of myself. And that trickles down to how we treat others. That I'm not here to be the, like the person that you're always going to. You're, I'm not here to be like you're, you know, you're not here to, uh, let me try to spit this out the right way, but we're not here to be dependent on other people, but dependent on God alone. And humility is us all recognizing that, who God is and who we are. He's the one that's able, it's not us. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 say this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's what he says there in those verses. He's calling the Philippians there, be like Christ, and the way he's saying specifically that it looks like is, we walk in lowliness toward one another. We don't, we don't look at each other on pedestals. We don't form some kind of a spiritual hierarchy of who's higher to God and who's lower to God and this kind of stuff, like a lot of religion may tend to do. We don't do that. We're all in the same playing field. We all cry out, Abba, Father. We all have the Spirit of God. We're all in Jesus Christ. We're all equal in, that, in those terms. So it's wrong, as Paul's bringing out in verse 24, it's wrong when anybody tries to lord over others. And that seems pretty simple, right? We're not here to lord over others. That's what the word dominion in verse 24 means, to lord over. No, again, Jesus is Lord. You stand before the Lord between you and God. It's all, your life is between you and God. And, and, I, and I just see here this mentality that Paul, you know, he, he's, he's coming from an attitude of, I am with you. I am with you. You see that a little bit in, in verse 24. We are fellow workers for you. It's, it's this mentality of I'm with you. you. and I were both in Christ. You and I are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We're in this together. I'm coming with my message from a with you perspective. But sometimes as Christians and some speakers and different things, sometimes you can come across more, I'm going to talk at you. Or, or even worse, I'm going to talk down to you. And nothing will, <laughs> I'm afraid that's going to run people off. But that's not what we're called to. We're not called to have an at you mentality. You know, again, coming over like, here's what you got to do. Here's what you need to do. Here's what I'm going to tell you to do. No, I'm with you. How can I help? What do you need? What are you struggling with? What can I pray about? I want to be with you in the Christian life. And here's Paul saying this very idea. Again, as an apostle, he's saying, I'm a fellow worker for your joy. Joy. This is the outcome Paul wanted in, their, in their, the spat they're having that's playing out here on the pages of Scripture. I want, this, I want you to grow in your joy. I just, I just want you to have joy in the Lord. That's all I want for you. I don't want your money. I don't want you to do the things I think you should do. I want you to walk with joy before your God. That's all I want for you. I just want you to grow in, who, in your knowledge of Christ and your walk with God. I just want you to have joy in your Christian life. Joy. He says, that's what this is all about. We're going to get in chapter 2, and he's going to talk about sorrow and grief, and that's what they were experiencing because Paul was, you know, they kind of had this, they were throwing a little bit of a pity party. You know, Paul was mean to me. He said, I was doing something bad. You know, they kind of have that mentality. 
It's like, I just want you to have joy. That's all I want. That's all I want for you. That's all my, my whole goal, my whole intention is for you to have joy with the Lord and in the Lord. I hope that when people come to, to our, our assembly in our church and they hear the teaching and they part, take part in the fellowship, that they experience this mentality of, we are with you. And all we want is for you to have joy in the Lord. That's all we're here for. We're not, we're, that's, all we're, that's all we're about. We just want you to walk with God. That's all, that's all our church is about. And Paul tells him, for by faith you stand. And I think what he's just doing is showing we all stand before the Lord because of our own faith. They weren't before the Lord because of Paul, and Paul wasn't before, before the Lord because of them. They're all, it's their own faith in Christ. We all answer to the same Lord. That's, I think, the, the inference there. We all answer to the same Lord. Jesus is Lord, not me. You answer to him. You stand before him. And Paul is affirming, hey, I see your faith. I know you stand before the Lord. I'm not going to be the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm not going to try to be Lord of your life. I see your faith. All I want to see, though, is you grow with the Lord. That's all I'm here for. And I just appreciate his heart toward them, even when they're accusing him. You know, they're, they're pointing the finger at him, and yet he still takes this mentality. Now, he will explain more. He will defend. He will bring up his credentials because some of them needed to hear it. But you see his heart in these verses. He just wants them to grow in their joy with the Lord. You know, I think back to the story in the Gospels. It's found in Matthew chapter 20. But it's when two of Christ's apostles were, were eyeing up some positions with the Lord in his kingdom. You know, they wanted to be sitting at his right hand and his left hand in the kingdom. And it was James and John, who, by the way, were nicknamed uh, the Sons of Thunder, you know, because they must have been, had been fairly boisterous individuals. Um, you know, they were, they were known to kind of speak what's on their mind, apparently, and they were known for it. And yet, even though they were known, probably known to be boisterous and called Sons of Thunder, there's this, this place in Matthew 20 where their mom comes to talk to Jesus. And whether they had worked that out amongst themselves, I don't know. But their mom comes and talks to Jesus and says, hey, will you let my two sons sit on your right hand and your left hand? Now, that is some, that's a mommy issue or something going on there. I have to laugh when I read that passage like, hey, mom, go ask Jesus if we can reign in his kingdom next to him, you know, on his right and left hand. And I don't know what all they were all thinking. I'm thinking, where's their dad? What's mom thinking? What are they thinking? Anyway, it's just kind of a humorous story. So mommy goes and asks them if they can have the two best seats in the kingdom. <laughs> and the Lord says, it's, it's, uh, basically he says, it's not, it's not mine to give. It's the Father's will. And he challenges them a little bit on it. But he goes into a lesson to all the apostles when this comes up. Because later, he overhear, apparently overhears them arguing about who's going to be best in the kingdom. Yeah, you know, they're probably all thinking, I'm going to sit next to Jesus. I'm going to be his right-hand man. I'm going to be the guy he leans on, right? That's how the flesh thinks. That's how the world thinks. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? You know, we see that in our world. Every time, like, a basketball record is beaten, it's always like, oh, who's the greatest of all time? Who's the greatest of all time? And there's, like, a debate that rages. That's what people are infatuated with. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And even, and even Jesus' apostles were getting into that. And he teaches them. He says... I'll just read a few verses. They're not going to be on the screen, but, but Jesus, this is found in Matthew 20. He says, Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them 
and their high officials exercise authority over them. He's saying, yeah, look out in the world. When the politicians demand respect and they lord over people, that's what the world does. My kingdom is not of this world. That's his lesson. He goes on and he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, that's not my kingdom. If you want to be like me, then you want to be, who can I serve more? Who can I serve more? How can I serve the Lord more? That's the mentality and the spirit of one who knows God and walks with God. That's what Paul exemplifies in this passage as he still reaches out to the Corinthians in which some, there was a faction that was against him. He still says, I want to be with you. I want to increase your joy. I'm here to serve you even now. I'm just here to be your servant in Christ. The one who can trust in God and walks in humility toward others, that's going to be the person who is a true servant of God, who's going to find joy in life despite all the difficulties that come. It's in those simple things where you find joy. The sovereignty of God, the reliability of God, and just humbly walking toward others, being their servant. That's where God says there's joy. Not in trying to control things, control people, control situations, and all this stuff, but in resting in who God is. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for these words that you've shared with us and preserved for us, and we just want to take these things to heart more, to understand them more deeply, Lord. We pray your Spirit would work that in each one of us to help enlighten our hearts to these things, and that we're just encouraged, and that we too understand that you want us to walk in joy with you. That's what this is about today. And we as Christians should be a joy-filled people, not a depressed people, but a joy-filled people because of who you are and what you're doing in our lives. So, Father, continue to help us trust in you in these things. We, we praise you, and we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.